Chapter Three of The Innocents: A Story for Lovers by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. They changed from steamer to railroad. About eleven in the morning they stepped out at West Skipsit, Cape Cod. Uncle Joe Tubbs and Mrs. Tubbs were driving up in a country buggy. Father and mother filled their nostrils with the smell of the salt marshes, their ears with the long murmur of the mile-distant surf, their eyes with the shine of the great dunes and the demure peace of a New England white cottage standing among firs and apple-trees, scent, sound, and sight of their freedom father we're here mother whispered her eyes wet then oh do be careful of that box there's a hat there that's going to make matilda tubbs catch her death from envy to the tubbses though they were cynical with a hoary wisdom in regard to new yorkers and summerites and boarders in general the annual coming of the applebys was welcome as cider and buttered toast yes they even gave father and mother the best chamber with the four-poster bed and the mirror bordered with florida shells at a much reduced rate they burrowed into their grim old hearts as uncle joe tubbs grubbed into the mud for clams and brought out treasures of shy affection as soon as they reached the tubbs farmhouse the two women went off together to the kitchen while the men sneaked toward the inlet mother didn't show her new hat as yet that was in reserve to tantalize mrs tubbs with the waiting besides for a day or two the women couldn't take down the bars and say what they thought but the men immediately pounded each other on the back and called each other seth and joe and keeping behind banks lest they be seen by young uns they shamefacedly paddled barefoot two old men with bare feet and silvery shanks chuckling and catching crabs in a salt inlet among rolling hillocks covered with sedge-grass that lisped in the breeze the grass hollows were filled with quiet and the sound of hovering flies beyond was a hill shiny with laurel they dug for little neck clams in the mud by the pond they discussed the cranberry bog and the war and the daily catch of the traps they interrupted their sage discourse to whoop at a mackerel gull that flapped above them they prowled along the inlet to the outside, and like officials they viewed a passing pogie-boat. Uncle Joe Tubbs ought to have been washing dishes, and he knew it, but the coming of the Applebys annually gave him the excuse for a complete loaf. Besides, he was sure that by now Mother Appleby would be in apron and gingham helping the protesting yet willing Mrs. Tubbs. The greatest philosophical theory in the world is that people are people, the Applebys, who had mellowed among streets and shops, were very much like the Tubbses of Cape Cod. Father was, in his unquenchable fondness for mother, like Romeo, like Golden Ockeson, but also in his sly fondness for loafing on a sunny grass-bank, smoking a vile pipe, and arguing that the war couldn't last more than six months, he was very much like Uncle Joe Tubbs. As for mother, she gossiped about the ancient feud between the West Skipsit Universalists and Methodists, and she said, Want, exactly like Mrs. Tubbs. There were other boarders at the Tubbses, and before them at supper both of the old couples maintained the gravity with which vainly age always endeavors to impress youth. 
Uncle Joe was crotchety, and Mrs. Tubbs was brisk about the butter, and the Applebys were tremendously dignified and washed and brushed, and not averse to being known as superior star boarders from that superior city, New York, personages to whom the opera and the horse show were perfectly familiar. Father dismissed a small amateurish war debate by letting it be known that in his business, nature of business not stated, he was accustomed to meet the diplomatic representatives of the very choicest nations and to give them advice. Which, indeed, he did, regarding shoes. For Pilkings and Son had a rather elite clientele for Sixth Avenue, and Father had with his own hands made glad the feet of the Swedish consul and the Bolivian trade agent. A man from South Bromfield started to cap the pose, as low persons always do in these boarding-houses, but Father changed the subject in a slightly peppery manner. Father could be playful with Mother, but, like all men who are worth anything, he could be as Olympian as a king, or a woman author, or a box-office manager, when he was afflicted by young men who chewed gum and were chatty. He put his gold-bowed eyeglasses on the end of his nose and looked over them so wealthily that the summerites were awed and shyly ate their applesauce to the last dreg. Twelve o'clock dinner at the Tubbses was a very respectable meal, with roasts and vegetables to which you could devote some skill and energy. But supper was more like an afterthought, a sort of afternoon tea without the wristwatch conversation. It was soon over, the dishes soon washed, and by seven o'clock the Applebys and Tubbses gathered in the sacred parlor where ordinary summerites were not welcome, where the family crayon enlargements hung above the green plush settee from Boston, which was flanked by the teak table which Uncle Joe's Uncle Ira had brought from China, and the whale's vertebrae without which no high-caste Cape Cod household is virtuous. With joy and verbal fireworks, with highly insulting comments on one another's play, began the annual series of cribbage games, a World Series, a Davis Cup tournament. Doffing his usual tobacco-chewing, collarless, jocose manner, Uncle Joe reverently took from the what-not the ancestral cribbage board carved from a solid walrus tooth. They stood about exclaiming over it, then fell to. Fifteen-two, fifteen-four, and a pair is six, rang out triumphantly. Finally, as happened every year on the occasion of their first game, when the men had magnificently won, Mrs. Tubbs surprised them with refreshments. They would have been jolly well surprised if she hadn't surprised them, and Father played recent New York musical comedy songs on his new mouth-organ, stopped to explain the point of each, whereupon Mother shook her head and said warningly, now father you be careful what you say honestly i don't know what the world is coming to mrs tubbs the way men carry on nowadays but she wasn't very earnest about it because she was gigglingly aware that uncle joe was stealing mrs tubbs share of the doughnuts they were all as hysterical as a girls school during this annual celebration but father peeped out of the parlor window and saw the lush moonlight on martian field to mother with an odd quiet sarah it's moonlight like it used to be the tubbses seemed to understand that the sweethearts wanted to be alone and they made excuses to be off to bed on the porch wrapped in comforters and coats against the seaside chill father and mother cuddled together they said little everything was said for them by the moonlight silvery on the marshes wistful silver among the dunes while the surf was lulled and the whole spacious night seemed reverent with love his hand cradled hers as the hand of a child would close round a lily-leaf. 
halcyon days of sitting in rocking-chairs under the beech-trees on locust-zizzing afternoons of hunting for shells on the backside shore of the cape of fishing for whiting from the landing on the bayside of musing among the many-coloured grasses of the uplands they would have gone ambling along such dreamland roads to the end of their vacation had it not been for the motor-car of uncle joe's son-in-law that car changed their entire life among the hills of peace there was waiting for them an adventure uncle joe's son-in-law lived in a portable bungalow a mile away he rotated crops he peddled fish with a motor-car in five minutes he could detach from the back of his car the box in which he carried the fish clap on a rather rickety tonneau and be ready to compete in stylish pleasures with the largest limousine from newport or brookline father and mother went wheezing about the country with him father always felt that he had the makings of a motorist because of the distinct pleasure he had felt in motor-bus rides on new york sundays and he tactfully encouraged the son-in-law in the touring mania so it was really father's fault that they found the tea-room the six of them the applebys the tubbses and the son-in-law and daughter somewhat cramped as to space and dusty as to garments had motored to cotagansuit before them out across the road hung the sign ye tea shop say by jiminy let's go into that tea shoppy and have some eats said father my treat nope it's mine said the tubbses son-in-law hypocritically not a word out of you sang father gallantly hey there chauffeur stop this new car of mine at the shoppy as the rusty car drew up mrs tubbs and mother looked rather agitatedly at a group of young people girls in smocks and men in white flannels who were making society noises before the brown barn which had been turned into a tea-room the two old women felt that they weren't quite dressed for a party they were shy of silken youth mrs tubbs's daughter was conscious of the fact that her one dollar ninety-eight cent wash-dress shapeless from many washings was soiled in front but uncle joe the old hard-shell was never abashed at anything he shifted his tobacco quid and guessed he'd have to get some white pants like that young red-headed fellow's then father again proved himself magnificent wasn't he a new yorker no flossy tea-room and no bunch of young fellows in ice-cream breeches probably they were only clerks anyway if the truth was known was gonna scare your uncle dudley off in tea not that he cared so much for tea himself would rather have a good cup of coffee any time but he didn't want joe tubbs to think he wasn't used to fashionable folks so with a manner of wearing goggles and gauntlets he led the women and the shambling son-in-law and the brazenly sloppy uncle joe through the flowery youth and into the raftered room with its new fireplace and old william and mary chairs its high boy covered with brassware and its little tea-tables with slender handicraft vases each containing one marigold father ignored all of these elegances and commanded a disdainful waitress with a frilly white apron let's have a couple of tables together here eh he himself shifted chairs and made a joke and started to select impressive food he was used to new york restaurants and to quite expensive hotels for at least once a year on his birthday mr pilkings took him to lunch at the waldorf while he had apparently been devoting himself to arranging the tables his cunning old brain had determined to order tea and french pastry apparently the tea shop was neutral there was no french pastry on the bill but instead such curious edibles as cinnamon toast cream cheese walnut sandwiches martha washington muffins nor was the tea problem so easy as it seemed to father there were only two kinds of tea the kind you got for a nickel at the automat and the kind that mother privately consumed 
but here he had to choose intelligently among orange pekoe oolong ceylon and english breakfast teas father did a very brave thing though he probably will never get the carnegie medal for it instead of timidly asking the lofty waitress's advice he boldly plunged in and ordered two kinds of sandwiches cinnamon toast and because he liked the name orange pekoe he rather held his breath but apparently the waitress took him quite seriously and sometime in the course of the afternoon actually brought him what he had asked for ye tea shop was artistic you could tell by the fact that none of the arts and crafts wares exposed for sale were in the least useful and it was too artistic too far above the sordidness of commercialism to put any prices on the menu cards consequently father was worried about his bill all the time he was encouraging his guests to forget their uncomfortably decorative surroundings and talk like regular people but when he saw how skinny were the sandwiches and how reticent the cinnamon toast he was cheered he calculated that the whole bill couldn't in decency be more than ninety cents for the six of them in the midst of his nicest flow of fancy about mother's fear of mice the bill was laid decorously on its face beside him still talking but hesitating somewhat he took a peep at the bill it was for three dollars and sixty cents he felt congealed but he talked on he slid a five-dollar bill from his diminutive roll and gallantly paid up his only comment when in the car mother secretly asked how much he had been overcharged was the reflection they certainly ought to make money out of those tea-rooms their profit must be something like five hundred per cent that strikes me as a pretty good way to earn a living old lady you live in a nice comfortable place in the country and don't have to do any work but slice bread and stick in chicken or cream cheese and make five hundred per cent say end of chapter three read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com